Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Thanks for joining me each and every Saturday, telling all your friends, learning something about how your body works with some Clapper Vision. At 8.15, my guest calling in from Ohio is Kim Weitkamp. She's a storyteller, par excellence. And all week long when I knew she'd be calling in, it made me think about the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery, these worlds that I love. And where storytelling is at its greatest. And for me, in the world of sports, nobody did it better than Vin Scully. In the world of art, nobody did it better than Steve Jobs. But let me ask you, what is it about storytelling? What kind of stories can you tell? And I thought about it. There's really only three kinds of stories. One is a story about yourself. The other a story about, that you tell about someone else. And finally, a story that you make up, a story of fantasy. So in the world of sports, to me, the greatest who ever told a story about fantasy and about someone else was Vin Scully. And Vin Scully was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1982. In that speech... He gave, in my opinion, the greatest storytelling story of make-believe and fantasy that I ever heard. Listen to him teach us about what that induction into the Hall of Fame meant to him by telling a story. Here's Vin Scully. And I'd like to conclude with a story. There is a legend in the West of an Indian chief who was wont to test the manhood of his young braves by making them climb up the side of a mountain as far as they could in a single day. And at daybreak on the appointed day, four braves left the village. This is like a bar mitzvah for Native Americans. Manhood in front of the chief, four braves. This is what you're going to have to do. The first one came back in the late afternoon with a sprig of spruce to show how high he had climbed. Later that afternoon, another came with a branch of pine, and much later in the day, the third came with an alpine shrub. He's telling you how high these, each of these braves went, one higher than the next by getting a different tree branch. Spruce, pine, alpine, shrub. But it wasn't until late that night, by a full moon with the stars dancing in the heavens, that the fourth brave arrived. What did you bring back? How high did you climb? Asked the chief. And the brave said, where I was, there was no spruce nor pine to shield me from the sun. There was no flower to cheer my path. There was only snow and ice and barren rocks and cold, hard ground. My feet are torn and bloodied. I'm worn out and exhausted. I'm barehanded 
and I have come home late. But, and then a wondrous look came into his eye, and he said, I saw the sea. How do you like that? A wondrous look came over his eyes. Who speaks like that? Vince Scully speaks like that. And now he closes the loop and tells you this brave did something priceless for his manhood test. He saw the sea, something priceless. And that's how he felt about being inducted into the Hall of Fame. So now he connects those dots. For 33 years, the good Lord has allowed me to do what I've always wanted to do, broadcast my favorite game. He has allowed me to climb my mountain. And today, thanks to the Ford Seafrick Award, I thank you for sharing this moment with me because believe me, today, I saw the sea. One of Vince Scully's closest friends, the first man he met when he came to L.A. in 1958 when the Brooklyn Dodgers became the Los Angeles Dodgers and he came with them, was John Wooden. His storytelling, where you tell a story, not a fantasy like he just did, but a story about someone else, not about yourself, but about someone else. This is Vince Scully speaking at John Wooden's memorial just to tell you how he felt about his friend. John Robert Wooden, 1910, 2010. Between those numbers, a life of success and value. Success can be measured by what you receive from your fellow man, and the value of a man is what he gives back. John Wooden was successful, but more importantly, he was a man of substance, of character, and certainly of value. He gave back. So he's teeing you up to tell a story about not yourself, but of someone else. Now listen to this amazing story that Vince Scully tells while John Wooden is still alive at an award ceremony. Fifty years ago, when the Dodgers came here to Los Angeles, my wife and I lived in a small apartment on the west side, and being the doting husband that I am, I went to the grocery store and came back with my arms full of groceries, and there was a little wooden fence and a gate that opened up to the area leading to the little two-story apartment house, and I couldn't open the gate because my arms were full, and a man stepped out of nowhere and said, here, let me help you, and he opened the gate. Look at the picture he's painted of that whole scene. You just feel like you're right there next to him at that gate and with those grocery bags in his arms. And then I said, thank you. And he said, hi, I'm John Wooden. I'm the basketball coach at UCLA. John was one of the first of all the people in this great city that I ever had the pleasure of meeting. As the years went by, I realized that he has more than just opened the gate for other people in his long career. He is not a coach, he is more than a teacher. He really is a genius in his ability to inspire. And here he sums it up. And I think there are a few giants that walk amongst us and he is certainly one of them. And I apologize for being so brief, but I would not have missed this day for all the tea in China. So John, <laughs> I love you. I look forward to seeing you on the 13th. And if ever a man deserved to be honored, you're that man. Storytelling. Vince Scully gives us an example of fantasy, the Indian chief, 
and the Braves. A story about someone else, John Wooden. But what about a story about yourself? Well, in the world of art, Steve Jobs tells us an incredible story about himself. How you pace the story. What words do you use? How high you pitch your voice. How low. It's a craft. It's a tool. It's to teach. And it's a skill. Listen to Steve Jobs, 2005, at the Stanford University commencement. The graduation speech. Speaking to graduates of a college from a man who never went to college or only went for a single year, never graduated from college, I should say. Truth be told, I never graduated from college, and uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. (laughs) Today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. It's the first story that I want to focus on because it's the beginning of his career. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why'd I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. Mm. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. Mm. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother found out later that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She refused to sign the final adoption papers. Look at how this stays with you for the rest of your life. But it ultimately shapes who he is and who he becomes. This story is so important to Steve Jobs to tell. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college, but I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford, and all of my working-class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. Mm, So he's going to drop out. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was, spending all the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. So he takes a class that has absolutely no practical application. I took art history. It has nothing to do with being a science major and getting into medical school. But yet, it actually ultimately has everything to do with what I ended up doing with my life as a surgeon. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with. And I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night 
to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. This is the example, the, the calligraphy course, which is the different lettering. You can make your letter A, B, C in script, capital letters, lowercase letters, any which way. That's what calligraphy is. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. You gotta trust it. When that art history professor said, hey, I hope none of you are pre-med because I don't give A's, which you need to get into medical school. I tried to get out of that class, but something told me I shouldn't. And I stayed. He's right. You have no idea. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but you got to trust your gut and take a risk and go for it. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. I found what I loved to do early in life. Waz and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I just turned 30. And then I got fired. And then he gets fired. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. And so at 30, I was out and very publicly out. Mm. And finally? But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I'd been rejected, but I was still in love. And so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. Storytelling. Steve Jobs teaching us with those words. How to engage us. Yeah, the topic is great. But how you space those words, raise your voice, lower your voice. It's a skill. Vince Scully. That wondrous look in, that, uh, in his eyes. Just awesome but also knowing when not to speak. When Kirk Gibson hit that home run, Vince Scully didn't say a word. 
He let the crowd do the talking because he understands how to tell the story that's unfolding in front of us. It's a skill. And the best of the best are those two guys. And coming up next, my guest is the best of the best, the great Kim Weitkamp. We're going to learn what's involved with storytelling. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know Your Your Knee Posts. One of the most complicated areas of the body, ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Why, I've never been so insulted in my life. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Well, it's early, yet. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Wow, Jimi Hendrix, killing me. Nobody made a guitar sound like he did. And I finally was taught why that is. Because he was left-handed, but he continued to play a right-handed person's guitar. So he turned it upside down. So when Jimi Hendrix strums the strings, it's thunderous. Because those deeper notes are first, not last. Typically, when someone plays the guitar. Who knew? Mm, Died too young. I'm so excited. I'm joined now by someone who's a master at what us rookies, me included, try to do, which is to tell stories. But she's the best at it. Kim, thanks so much for joining us this morning and waking up. Well, not that early in Ohio, but it is still early. We really appreciate it. Hey, Dr. Clapper. So happy to be here. (laughs) Are you enjoying (laughs) The stories of Vince Scully and Steve Jobs. Did you get to hear any of the show? Um, I didn't yet. I hate to say that, but I'm traveling through North Carolina. Wow. On the road. So well, I I'm, but I'm, I mean, how can you not love Vince? I, I know. mean, he's the voice of baseball, right? He is the voice of baseball, but his gift at telling stories in the world of sports has enlightened all of us. And I used in the world of art... Steve Jobs at the 2005 Stanford commencement graduation speech where he told three stories about his life. And so I want to know from you, the master, what exactly is going on with storytelling? Why is it so important to be able to tell a story? Well, the thing is that inside each of us, every human, we are wired. It is in our DNA to narrate our lives through story. Mm -hmm. And we do that without even realizing it. For example, if I'm at a 
a retreat and I'm speaking, I'm at a convention and I'm speaking. When I call my mom and tell the story of my day, <laughs> I tell it from the view of, hey, mom, I'm, you know, doing this keynote speech and did that because I want her to be proud of me. If I call my little sister, I'm like, oh, I'm staying at this great resort. There's a spa, da, 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 because I want her to be jealous of me. <laughs> so we narrate our life every day without realizing it using story. And we switch that story up to, to get the emotion out of the person that we want. It is how we are wired. Hmm. Uh, when I give facts or data, uh, I think three parts of the brain light up. But the minute I take that and move it into a story form of communication, seven parts of the brain light up and the person listening, the person receiving remembers more, feels more, is more connected, feels more uh, involved. They have more skin in the game. Hmm. So it is the way that we communicate. Well, I want to give thanks to Brian Bemmel from the Ojai Storytelling Festival because he's the one who kind of connected us. So tell me what it's like to go to Ojai to tell stories. Is it different than going to North Carolina? Do you do you think about the audience that you're going to be telling the story? You just said your mom versus your sister. Is there a difference between someone in Ojai at a festival versus North Carolina, or is your audience pretty much always the same? Uh, my audiences change a lot because one minute I'm at a convention for – uh, the School Nutrition Association National, mm -hmm. and then I'm keynoting at a Feeding America event, and then I'm at a convention for doctors and then or dentists, and then I'm in Florida in front of three to 500 people performing my more entertainment stories. So my audience changes a lot, but here's the thing. Universally, we all are so connected in so many ways. I have a story about my dad. I could do that on any stage hmm. and just push it a little bit one way or the other to suit what I'm supposed to be giving that particular audience hmm. because everyone is out of father, whether they are there, not there, absent, involved, horrible, good, you know, affectionate, not affectionate, whatever. And so everyone's going to relate through their, you know, human psyche differently, but I've got a universal ground. Hmm. And so when I, tell a story, do a keynote, even if I'm doing coaching or consulting, I use story when I do that. I make sure that my stories always have a universal ground. And then I nudge that story, not the truth of it, not the facts of it, but the building of it to meet my audience where they are. And yeah, when I go to Ojai, you know, it's going to be different than when I'm in Massachusetts or when I'm in Texas or when I'm in mm. Florida or Ohio or North Carolina. You know, I always grab, believe it or not, the newspaper. <laughs> they still exist. Yeah. When I hit a town and I read through for the local stuff that you're not going to get maybe online. Yeah. And I'll kind of weave some of that as a joke in through my stuff so people feel like it's more localized. Yeah. Can I go off the script right now, Kim? Do you mind? I'm, I'm going off script with a storyteller. I just love this. One of my professors in, who, who invented the knee replacement, Dr. Ranawat, he's still alive, God bless him. Uh, he's taught me one thing. He taught me many things. But he used to say, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Meaning, go home, read. You're going to need to read the history of this operation and the anatomy. You better know it backwards and forwards. The eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Well, I'm on a radio show right now. The ears don't hear what the mind doesn't know. 
I would love, one of my favorite stories is a story that Vince Scully told. It's a made-up story. It's a legend. But I would love to hear, to play pieces of it, and I need you to dissect it. You know, in Judaism, we have the Torah, which is the Bible, and then we have Rashi. Mm -hmm. We have all these people and Rambam who translate it almost, like they go into deeper levels. So this is kind of a Talmudic thing I'm going to do with someone named Kim Whitecamp, which is hilarious. Um, but <laughs> I, I'd love you to teach us what exactly is Vince Scully doing, pacing the words, raising his voice, lowering his voice. I just would love to learn from you, the teacher, what Vin is doing. Do you mind? I mean, this would be just so fantastic. So here's the beginning. Well, you know what? This is unexpected, but I'm game for anything okay. all the time. I love it. All right. <laughs> so it. tell yeah. us what Kim Whitecamp hears when I play this for you. And I'd like to conclude with a story. There is a legend in the West of an Indian chief who was wont to test the manhood of his young braves by making them climb up the side of a mountain as far as they could in a single day. And at daybreak on the appointed day, four braves left the village. So he's using four braves. He's using a chief. What is he doing with his voice? What is he doing with his word? What do you hear? Well, more than the tone and the cadence of his voice, I know he's setting us up for one of the seven stories, which is Quest. Mm. And we already have the underdog right out in the front. That's the Braves because they're going to be tested. So we know that some, we know right out of the cage, out of, not out of the cage, but right out of the gate, some are going to fail, some are going to win. So we're already invested and we have a, an authority figure in place. Wow. So this is a basic quest story. And who knows where else it'll go. I'm anxious to hear this. Okay, exactly. <laughs> if he can get you anxious, can you imagine? That's why he's been Scully and we're not. All right, here we go. This is the second the second segment. The first one came back in the late afternoon with a sprig of spruce to show how high he had climbed. Sprig of spruce. Later that afternoon, another came with a branch of pine, and much later in the day, the third came with an alpine shrub. Sprig of spruce. How important is it to use the noun and the adjective? Like, the actual word itself, obviously, is very important, but what is happening when you do that? I love alliteration. Alliteration is just beautiful. And when you can kind of tumble your words together where there's almost like a, a musical rhythm to them because of the, the, the letters, the continents that are being used or the, the run of the vowels, that's just, that's just beautiful language is what that is. Mm -hmm. And listeners like that. Even if they don't know quite what it is, they know that they like it. Mm -hmm. And so it just comes down to good writing or just good, good language. You know, I can't play the guitar. But I love Eric Clapton, and I know he's oh. better than everybody else, even though I don't know how to play the guitar. So the reality you is, know, is I live near you, Eric. You, could, you could hear good storytelling, even though you don't know what exactly is going on. So that's kind of what you're saying, is that the listener may not they appreciate it, but they may not understand it all. And it's the same thing for me. So there's a musical quality to using the words you choose to use. Absolutely, a musical quality. All right, here we go. Here's the third one. But it wasn't until late that night, by a full moon with the stars dancing in the heavens, that the fourth brave arrived. What did you bring back? How high did you climb? asked the chief. And the brave said, where I was, there was no spruce nor pine to shield me from the sun. What is he doing here? 
Well, he's setting you up. He's setting you up for the end of the story. You're waiting. And I love how he paints the picture. Uh, and I'd love to get into that later about how your mind does that. But by saying my favorite part on that was the full moon and the stars dancing. So he's right away. We all saw that. If I said to you right now, close your eyes, picture a banana. You can see a banana. Even with your eyes open, you can see a banana. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. The receiver of a story how our mind actually goes into synchronizing with the storyteller and what we're seeing when we're telling, we can actually get our, our listener to see it. We paint a picture and what he just did there was he painted a picture. Got it. So now we've got a nice setting of where this guy's coming from. I also he, love how he yeah. sped up, you know, boom, boom, boom. they all came up and then he slows down to tell you what the sky looks like. Okay, here we go. There was no flower to cheer my path. There was only snow and ice and barren rocks and cold, hard ground. My feet are torn and bloodied. I'm worn out and exhausted. I'm barehanded, and I have come home late. But, and then a wondrous look came into his eye, and he said, I saw the sea. Do you not love that, Kim? A wondrous look came into his eye. And it would have been awkward to actually say eyes, plural. A wondrous look came into his eye. There's got to be a reason that he's not pluralizing eyes. And I believe it's because of the songfulness, the musicality of storytelling. He says I, even though we have two eyes. Am I wrong? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, man, I I own what I know and I own what I don't. And on that one, I'm not sure. But there's a reason. Everything happens for a reason, right? Everything is for a reason. He did it for a reason. We'd have to get, we'd have to ask him. (laughs) He's a master. That's why. Oh, and finally, so so this is what he does finally. This is the last one where he connects the dot. He closes the loop. He now makes that story relevant to the moment where he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame of baseball. For 33 years, the good Lord has allowed me to do what I've always wanted to do, broadcast my favorite game. He has allowed me to climb my mountain. And today, thanks to the Ford Seafrick Award, I thank you for sharing this moment with me because believe me, today, I saw the sea. How? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's lovely. Today I saw the sea. Today I that is saw- a beautiful use of story. Right. In a speech. So we're gonna take a break. Oh, yeah. Please, can you hang on, please? Yes. Because I need you to digest, marinate what all the beautiful words I'm gonna use of what you just heard. A master tell a story of fantasy, and now we need to understand the craft from the master, Kim Whitecamp. Coming up next, we'll get into it. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.
Ed Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. He's infectious, and I can say that because I'm a doctor. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Roberto Clapperio. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. And the cats in the Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So much fun having, I can't talk to Michelangelo. He's dead 500 years, but I can talk to Kim Weitkamp, who's the Michelangelo of storytelling. Kim, teach us. Teach us what makes storytelling so difficult, so important, so relevant, and how the hell does it relate to sports? Because you and I are talking on ESPN. Okay, so in story, there are obviously all kinds of stories, but there are basically seven types. And sports is filled with these stories, all seven of them. You can, on any minute, just go to any sport, any year, and find tons of stories that fit into these seven categories. One of my favorite, so one of the story types is overcoming a monster, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, one of the greatest stories of, of overcoming the monster was during the great depression, 1936 Olympics. And here comes, you know, Hitler's got his whole plan of what he wants to do Mm -hmm. uh, at the Olympics. And along comes who Jesse Owens Mm -hmm. four gold medals. That is like one of the best overcoming the monster stories. Then you have rags to riches stories. You got like, I don't know, LeBron James, Lee Trevino. You've got the Quest story, which we just heard. Another great Quest story is, uh, I'm a hockey girl, so like, what was that, 1980? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Miracle on Ice, USA, Mm -hmm. USSR, Mm -hmm. Russia. Mm -hmm. You've got the tragedy story, like when Edmonton uh, traded and paid $15 (laughs) million to get rid of Gretzky. There's a tragedy. (laughs) And then you've got the rebirth story, the comedy story, the voyage in return. And these stories are basic seven stories in, in, in story, in the world of story, in the world of our lives. Hmm. But in sports, there, it is just a gold mine for finding these kinds of stories. And storytelling is so important to, the, to sports because they need fans. You and I know fans are everything. If you take away the fans, you have no big sports. You have no money. You have no organizations, no agencies, nothing, no place where people can come together by tens of thousands, chanting, wearing their colors, feeling part of something bigger. Hmm. You have to not only uh, obtain fans, but you have to retain them, and then you have to engage them. And stories is how that's done. The stories of the players, of the teams, of the organization, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and downs, the quest stories, the voyage and return stories, beating the monster stories. You know, whoever's on the opposing side can be your monster at that time. You know, rags to riches stories are all throughout sports. And the rebirth of teams that come back out of nothing, like I wish the Penguins would. And it's just a lot of fun, but so here's the thing. I get excited. 
So you do you have to obtain, engage, retain fans, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the centerpiece of all business is persuasion. Mm-hmm. I don't care what business is it. I don't care what business it is. Trying to get your kid to take out the trash, you got to persuade them. Mm-hmm. Trying to get somebody to buy your product off the shelf, you have to persuade them. Getting people to buy in to whatever team you're trying to get people to buy into, it takes persuasion. Mm-hmm. And I want to come full circle with this, okay? And the greatest vehicle of persuasion is story. And so in the sports world, all across the, the bar, whether it's social media, written word, your show, whatever, and you're a great storyteller. I've heard about your your storytelling. Well, thank you. It is important to use story because it engages people on an emotional level. You and I know that sports is all about data. You know, I grew up going to Orioles games with my dad, mm-hmm. and every move they made out on that field, he explained to me that every step forward and every step back is being called, mm. and it is all taken out of data. Every game is coming out of the data of what you know about the other team, what you know about where you're playing. And hardcore uh, sports enthusiasts get that. But there needs to be an overarching of the story of data. Well, data, data, like I said, data information sparks like what? Two, three parts of the brain. We want to spark more than that so that we can engage listeners. We can engage fans. And the way to do that is through story. So stories, like they add flesh to the bones of data. Hmm. Sports moves fully based on data. You know, even the physical data of each player. But by adding stories to that and bringing stories in and even giving data in a story form, then brings in the emotion. It puts it in a larger context. Well, to to carry the metaphor further, where you're saying the story is adding flesh to data, are the two by fours of a story... Does every one of every story have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Do you see it that way, or is it just a f- you know flowing? How do you see the commonality in a story? Is there always a beginning, middle, and end? There tends to always be a beginning and middle and end. Every season has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. You know, we fight through the whole season for what we hope to see, mm-hmm. cheering people on. Now, some stories can be fluid. Some, some story, stories can flow, and there's lots of little endings and beginnings and middles. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I think that might make sense there. But the one thing I want to point out is Ira Glass uh, said in this, that's of, uh, this American Life, he said, all story is manipulation. It is manipulation. I know that I can tell just because I do it for a living. I know that I can tell a story that I, I can tell it to somebody, and I can get out of them exactly what I want. It is a powerful tool. We've seen dictators use it in horrific ways. Mm -hmm. But in sports and in a lot of places in life, doing manipulation is not negative. We look at the word manipulation, we right away think that's a negative word. It's not. You're a sculptor. Mm -hmm. You manipulate that stone with Mm -hmm. your chisel. You manipulate. uh, I I paint uh, just to get out stress. I manipulate the paints to get what I want on paper. My friend's a potter. She manipulates play to get what she wants So manipulation and is it a bad word it's what's behind it and we can look at the bigger picture and say well now news outlets whatever this team they're utilizing story to manipulate to get people involved you know what i hope they are Mm. and here's why if your purpose is pure although i think money does drive a lot i'd like to think that there are people that get the better parts of sports i think we know that there are 
But using a story to manipulate for the common good is not bad. For instance, people who are involved in sports, it's fascinating. They actually have higher self-esteem and not even, I'm talking about people that are sitting. I'm talking about people that are like sucking on a Slurpee and eating 12 hot dogs, right? I'm not talking about the athlete. The -hmm. people that are part of the bigger group of sports, team sports, just getting together, right? Even if they show up alone, they have higher self-esteem, lower levels of loneliness, and they're more satisfied with life. Mm -hmm. So if by taking the stories of sports like Vince did so beautifully, 60, what is it, 66 years of calling baseball? Mm -hmm. And you know, I've muted commentators because I don't want to hear what they're saying because it's just fluff. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I like the Hurricanes is because the commentators are good. I love... I also love where they mic their, their home hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love where they place the mics in there, but that's a whole other story. And, and it draws me in and it engages me. So if we use story in a proper way, we have to just be straight up and go, dude, I am manipulating with this story. We're going to release this story about this player because this is great. He's dedicating this, this game to his dad. You know what? Even if that guy's doing it for money, even if that guy's releasing that story for money, to gain fans, right? Mm-hmm. I, it kind of makes me go, ah, but I'm okay with it because I know what sports does for people who are lonely, who don't have a social group. They find it. I know what it does for people when they're riding that wave. And here's the thing. When a story is told, even if it's being played out on the court where there are no narr- narrators and, and there is no story per se, but it's still being played out right there in front of us. Mm-hmm. Our brain synchronizes with that. Our brain synchronizes with the stories of our team, the players. One of the reasons I love hockey, one, I think it's the most difficult sport to play, but that might be another show, um, is because of where these guys come from. Yeah. I mean, if you really look no, at the Wayne Gretzky's of father, Wayne Gretzky's father, the AT&T line placer on the telephone poles, who taught, who's the one who taught him skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. You know, the greatest story of how he became Wayne Gretzky because of his dad. So you're right. The storytelling is there. I got to ask you a question because I could talk to you for hours. The world of comedy, storytelling and comedy, when I think about beginning, middle and end, and I think about a joke and I think about the guy who had the greatest one liners, which is like a beautiful story in the least as a sculptor, chisel away all the excess. The least amount was Rodney Dangerfield. For example, here's here's one of his lines. When I was married, my credit card was stolen. I never reported it. That's the second sentence. That's the middle one. Because the guy was spending less than my wife. So you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it makes you laugh. So is there a whole different way to think of comedy, or is storytelling storytelling, whether it's sports, comedy, or just telling a story like Vince Scully? Well, I think every good storyteller should have some humor, Mm. right? I'm actually considered a humorist. I mean, I'm, I'm my website is kimisfunny.com. I can be very funny. I know where to place it, when I need to place it, and how I need to place it in my stories or keynote or whatever it is I'm doing. But there's a big difference between comedy and storytelling. Mm. Now, what you just did with Rodney Dangerfield, absolutely. Beginning, middle, end, punchline, mm. that's funny. Little, tiny, m M&M size story. But the difference between real comedy, I'm talking I need a laugh every five seconds, I'm on stage. If I don't get them laughing, I'm in trouble. Mm. And storytelling is in story, people die. In storytelling, I Mm. lose. 
in storytelling, I've lost my mom to cancer. In storytelling, hmm. there's victories and there's low defeats. In storytelling, I can sometimes have my audience tearing up and sometimes crying, and then within five minutes have them laughing again. I take them on an hmm. extremely intentional, very intentional ride when I perform. Hmm. And they keep coming back, so I guess things are okay. You're amazing, comedy, you start making, you're so sweet. In comedy, <laughs> tell my husband that. In comedy, <laughs> if they make their audience cry, they're probably not going to be hired back. Yeah. Whereas when we take them on that roller coaster as a storyteller, they leave enriched. Here's something I want to say. When someone leaves a basketball game and you watch everybody leaving, they're not going, man, you know what? I'm going to become a basketball player. Now, there's a few, right? But overall, the large majority isn't saying, I'm going to go to a basketball camp. This is what I'm going to do. When you leave the opera, everyone's not leaving going, that's it. Right. I am going to be the best opera singer in the world. But when I perform, whether it's in a theater or at a festival, my storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. If I go out in the lobby to shake hands and people take pictures and buy CDs and they're sweet and all that good stuff, I would say the majority of the people um, are saying, you know what, when I was a kid, I, do you know what my grandma, did? they all become storytellers. Mm. You inspire them. They all them. start, they, they're, they're wound up because they've synchronized their mind with the teller. Hmm. And they were the receiver, and they are burning to tell their stories. It is the one art form that when people leave, they instantly are able to I love go that. into it. And I hear it. I love that. All right, Kim, how do people learn about you? Tell me the website because we have to, I can, again, I could talk to you for hours, but I want people to learn how to track you down. What's the website, Facebook? Tell us what to do. All right. If you go to ProfitableStory.com, ProfitableStory.com, that's my keynoting consulting coaching, right? Mm. If you go to KimIsFunny.com, that's my entertainment kind of realm. I'm right. a writer, Great. singer, storyteller, songwriter, right. blah, 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 all that good stuff. But I love this. I love this <laughs> stuff. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Kim. And thanks to Brian Bemmel and everybody at the Ojai Valley Storytelling Festival. It'll be next year in October. Thanks so much for joining us. You really enlightened Los Angeles in the few moments you were with us today. We really appreciate it, Kim. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, All right. seriously. All right. God bless. All right, Warriors, the lines are all lit up. It's time to tell some stories with Clapper Vision. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy Emoji Clap Man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy Slip Disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy Hamstrings. Along with Doc's Clapper Vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning. Then with my friend, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Dr. Clapper says, measure twice, cut once. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Il Dr. Clapper dice, misura due volte, taglia una sola volta. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. 
let the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. If you start swimming or you'll sink like, like a stone, stone. Or the times they are changing The times are changing because you have an orthopedic surgeon, me, on the radio. That's crazy. But it's also terrific. The hell yeah. All right, let's do some clapper vision in the clinic. I've been talking the whole show. Clapper vision. I feel terrible about it. Who are we going to take first, Zach? Claudia and Lakewood. Sorry to make you wait so long, Claudia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Clapper. How young are you? What do you do for a living? I'm a retired social worker and educator in aging and disability. Oh, wow. So you are an angel from above, Claudia. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. What did your and father so do? You because yeah. Oh, my father was a traveling salesman wow. <laughs> for Barber and Beauty Supplies. Wow! So you rarely saw him. <laughs> well, not, that's true. <laughs> wow! And where'd you grow up? In Kansas City, Missouri, Ray Town. Wow! And when did you come to Los Angeles? Oh, 1978. I've been here longer than I was in that cold Midwest place. <laughs> 1970. What led you to come to Los Angeles? You went to school, you got married, a job. What happened? I got out of uh, school at KU. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rock Chuck Jayhawk. <laughs> uh, and just one of my friends were moving out here and warm weather, opportunities, starting my career with my master's in social work and out I came. Wow. And where did you land first when you came to Los Angeles? Well, I landed in the valley, but my first job was in Whittier and uh, uh, then to Long Beach. (laughs) Did you then move to Whittier? You moved to Long Beach? Where did you move to? Where did you live? Uh, Oh, actually, mostly Long Beach the whole time I've been here, greater Long Beach. Wow. Yeah. A couple years in Whittier, but down to Long Beach. That's fantastic. That's where I've been. And sports-wise, what do you do to stay in shape? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for my hip replacement in June of 18, because <laughs> I will never wait four years again to get it to live with pain. Uh, You're welcome. You may remember my hubby, because he brings you all the vintage surf books. So <laughs> I'm not having shoulder issues. But what I do is I walk at four to five miles a day with a husky. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, I've adapted my yoga uh, practice of 40 years or so to mm-hmm. on the chair and teach okay. chair yoga. Okay. And otherwise, that's Pretty much it. <laughs> I'm not you know, a sporty person. <laughs> a husky is a very special dog. Oh yes, we're on our third one. <laughs> They're very different than other dogs. They really, uh, I don't know how you own huskies. I just observe them. I've never owned a husky. I, you know, I've had Jewish dogs, which are poodles. You know, because they don't make, <laughs> they don't have shedding and whatnot. I'm God knows what your house must be like with the shedding. But oh, yeah. I got to tell you, oh, yeah. if I really <laughs> didn't care about the shedding, I would have a husky. Those eyes. The way they look, they're ferocious looking, but they're like the sweetest animals, right? They are. They are just sweet and adorable. And right now, there are probably a dozen being put to sleep, euthanized every day in every shelter. No, probably across the country, but certainly here in in California. It's really sad because people see the cute fluff ball and, well, they they are different. All right. What did (laughs) you do to yourself? How did you, how can I help you? All right. I, uh have been having shoulder pain. Mm-hmm. I just last week or so had x-rays. 
I wouldn't want anybody but you to advise me on my next steps. So I have my findings here, and I'm curious about the next steps for my shoulders. Well, you know already, you better not let them stick a needle in your shoulder of stem cells or PRP or cortisone. No needles into your shoulder. We're going to try to be holistic first and avoid surgery first. But if the if what you oh, are about to read me yep. doesn't uh, respond, then that's a whole different story because I'm a surgeon. But you always want to avoid it first. So let's read the findings. All right. On the right shoulder, which seems to have more damage, but because I'm left-handed, my left one hurts more. But the right shoulder says, glenohumeral joint space narrowing with marginal osteophytes present. Mm-hmm. Mild superior subluxation of the humeral head in relation to the glenoid. Okay. Downward sloping. <laughs> All right, so let me tell you. So this is an X-ray you're reading to me, correct? Not an MRI. Right. right. Okay. No, so, not an MRI. So I'm... what? What the best artistic explanation I can give you, which I love, is as a painter, you can't paint wind. Wind is invisible, but as a painter, you can paint the palm tree bending over in the wind. You can paint the effect of the invisible wind and see it even though you're not seeing it in the painting because you paint the effect, correct? Right. So so Mm -hmm. of all the things that your x-ray just described to me, the joint space is narrowed. That means the cartilage, which doesn't have uh, calcium, doesn't show up on the x-ray, so the joint space gets narrowed because you have a thinner amount of cartilage. That's joint space narrowing. The osteophyte or the bone spur kind of like candle wax dripping off the candle. Okay, now I know you've lost cartilage because of the joint space narrowing. I know you have arthritis because you have a bone spur. But here's the key. Here's the invisible part. The fact that you have superior migration of the humerus on the glenoid that they describe. You know what that means? Mm-hmm. That means no. that the thick and robust rotator cuff is damaged. Even though you can't see the rotator cuff on an x-ray, I'm telling you, this is Leonardo da Vinci painting wind, the effect of wind. The reason that humeral head can ride high is because your rotator cuff is not doing its job. It's, it's torn. It's frayed. Yes, you would need an MRI, and you don't need dye injected. Just a regular MRI is fine. And yes, I'd love to send you to therapy before you do anything of the S-word of surgery. But information empowers us. So, young lady, you go get an MRI, and then you come see me, and it'll be my pleasure to help you yet again. All right? That's, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, because it does say on here predisposition for rotator cuff. But that's right. I get it now why they uh, – and the MRI is next. Yes. And you said physical therapy might be helpful? Physical or? therapy we're absolutely going to try first no matter what it says. You don't have cancer. It's not dislocated. But you, I always try to – try to avoid surgery first with therapy, but you do three, four weeks of therapy and it's not better, then you have to come and see me. Call the office, tell Arnie I said it's okay so you don't have to wait three months and it'll be my pleasure to reconnect. And thank you so much for calling this morning. It really made my day. Oh, thank you so much because you made mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, young lady. See you soon. Warriors, let's talk about next week. We only have a minute left. Next week and the lines are all let up. Call next week at 7.30 then I'll take your calls. God damn it. Um, the show next week is going to be, you hear me talk for 11 years now, February will be 11 years about not to have cortisone. Well, I, we're going to have a doctor who just wrote a paper in my journals 
about the destructive, catastrophic changes to cartilage when you stick cortisone in the joint. So I can't wait to talk to this guy. He'll be calling in from Honolulu. So it made me think all week, where do steroids, drugs in general, do so much damage? In the world of sports, my heart was broken when Lyle Alzado of the Raiders died, fully admitting it came from his use of drugs, steroids. And what about in art? The life of Amy Winehouse. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Until then, find a total stranger. Do something nice for them, and I'll see you on the radio. Nel cielo infinito Volare Cantare Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar, and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.